When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hopefully you enjoy it. <laughs> hey, welcome back, tennis fans. Here we go. It is now the semi-finals. The quarterfinals are all complete. And we've got somebody in this podcast, there's only two of us, that had a very good men's bracket, didn't they, JG? Yep, yeah, it's 100%. I can't say that too often, but I got 100% correct on the men's semi-finals. On the top, we have... Carlitos uh, and Daniel Medvedev on the bottom, Djokovic and the surprise Ben Shelton, which I had in my bracket. I think we're in store for two epic semi-finals. I can't yeah. wait to see how they play out. Um, if you're looking at the top, though, initially, I'm not as excited for the Alcaraz Medvedev because of the matchups in the past and the fact that Alcaraz has always beaten him really convincingly. However, on the other half, Shelton is an entity in which Djokovic has never played. He said he's going to bring something a little bit different. He's trying to be disruptive. Whether that's going to be after every point, he's doing his big cheers or the big bombs and then mixing up the paces. I'm excited to see how that one plays out with Novak Djokovic. Of course, he's been there before. You'd expect him to be okay. And then on the women's, uh, we spoke about the other, the other semi-final, but today's one is awesome because we have Sabalenka who has looked unstoppable this whole tournament. She's been the Easy. one who you don't see losing at all. And Madison Key, someone who I predicted to go all the way to the final. She's got a good Grand Slam pedigree in her career and I'm interested to see how she fares. So let's start off with the men's before we get into the women's because they're equally exciting. Um, and I want to bring up this tweet to begin with. And this is from Jose Morgado. It's him discussing the men's single semi-final. So what we have, as I've already mentioned, Adkalaz Medvedev and Shelton Djokovic. So we've got the 1-2-3 and an unseeded player. Yep. And he's like put that. the caption, free, the three best players in the world, plus the youngest man from the United States to reach, to reach the last four since 2005. We are good, huh? What do I you mean, think? I think it's just super impressive that Shelton's managed to put his name amongst these like fantastic superstars, all slam winners, those three players, and he's in the mix. And some might say he's had a slightly easier draw and that type of thing, but you can only beat who's put in front of you. And I think he's beaten those players impressively. I think Karatsev was one of the most impressive ones. He looks really good this tournament. And Shelton, sort of after he got past the second set, made it look easy. TFO, very difficult to play at the US Open. Beat him in four sets. I think that he's definitely warranted his place in the semi-final. And it's definitely not going to be the last semi-final that we see Ben Shelton in. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah, I agree completely. We'll save that one uh, for later on because I know we've already touched on that on our preview yesterday. Yeah. So go check out our preview and prediction for Ben Shelton, Novak Djokovic. 
And on the women's, who was it again on the women's? What, for the semi-final? Yeah, we yesterday. Coco Goff versus Mukova. Yeah, so we yeah. did Coco Goff Mukova yesterday with Ben Shelton Djokovic. Today we're going to focus on Alcaraz, Medvedev and Sabah Keys. So let's begin with this tweet here. And this is Alcaraz and how he's performed this year. So 2023 wins 58, six losses, 91%. Career win-loss of 148-37. But in Grand Slams this year, is even better. So he's performed better on the Grand Slam stage than on the rest of the tour. He's only lost one Grand Slam match, and he's won 17, which is a 94% uh, record. And career Grand Slam win-loss is now 41-8. and Wow. I mean, that is incredible. There's nothing that he can do that will amaze me anymore. Um, watching that Zverev match, I really think that he's just becoming the the model, professional, great player that we knew he could be. And these stats are just backing it up. I only see this just becoming more and more wins and barely any losses. Then as soon as Djokovic disappears, who is going to be the one to challenge him? And Zverev said it in his post-match press conference. He said, it's just those two. Everybody else needs to step up their game because they're levels above everybody else at the moment. And he would have needed to have had a much easier match against uh, Yannick Sinner to even be able to be fit enough to compete with Carlos Alcaraz. And that's credit to Alcaraz. He, and I don't think Alcaraz was playing his best. But no. that just shows how good he is. Well, we need to talk about that quarterfinal. Alcaraz demolished Zverev, 6-3, 6-2, 6-4. Before the match, uh, Zverev was complaining why everyone's talking about the final of Alcaraz Djokovic. He's like, show some respect to the other players in the draw. Now he's on a full circle and he's saying uh, that these two are in their own league. So you can't have it both ways, Sasha Zverev. I mean, you've got to understand these two are better than everyone. You're going to have to catch up with the tour. I know he's saying that in hindsight, but before that, he's complaining that everyone's talking about just them two and he feels like he should have been spoke about more. So (laughs) it's a bit of a contradiction and everyone's going to have to try and catch up because at the moment in the tour, it's very clear what there is. You've got Adkaraz and Djokovic in their own league completely. Medvedev is a third best player in the world. And then I don't think there's anyone really in between. And that's why we're going to see probably the one, two, three in a lot of the semifinals of slams. The, the interesting perspective is just where Daniel Medvedev falls in the draw. If he falls on Djokovic's side, we then get a tough semi-final. On the Adkaraz side, so far, it's not going to be tough because Adkaraz is that much, so much better than Medvedev in that potential, in that matchup. What does Medvedev have to do different? I mean, everything. He has to completely find a different game style, another game plan, because the ones he's used so far up to this date have not work, worked against Carlos Adkaraz at all. And I think what we're going to be looking for in the next few years with the draws is where where's Medvedev going to fall? Unless he can find a way to overcome the beast in Carlos Alcaraz. And he simply is a beast. I mean, he was asked, what's changed most about him since last year's US Open? And his response was, I think I'm more mature. I grew up a lot since last year. Last year, I was facing my first semi-final of a Grand Slam, which is crazy to think. Now he's facing his fourth one. I feel like I'm a totally different player. I deal with the pressure. I feel like I'm different. And do you believe he's different? 
Yes, I do. I believe he's much improved, and that is saying something. Considering he won the US Open last year, looking at him in last night's match against Zverev, it, he, he looked unplayable at times. And that was only in the big moments, and that's what makes a, a great player. You don't have to play great for the whole match, but in the big moments, you step up. And he just said, I try to just think of this as any other point and just play aggressive and... That's how I get through those big moments. And it's, it goes to show he's built a big, big point mentality at such a young age. Not many people can do that. And I'm super impressed. And what's Daniel Medvedev going to be able to do to stop him? That's the big question. And Medvedev, he said in his post-match uh, press comments after the win against Rublev, that he still believes he can win, which I like. He said, I'm going to have to change a lot of stuff and I'm going to have to really give it my all. But I still believe that I can beat him. He says, tennis is a funny game. Anyone can beat anyone at any given time. And there's no reason that if he has a bit of luck and he, if the, the ball hits the net cord and goes onto the other side for a change, like a little bit of a... A little bit of luck is what Daniel Medvedev needs in this match, I think, just to help sway it in his favour in a couple of big moments. And then we might see something different. We might see Carlos Alcaraz. He has a dip in third sets, Carlos Alcaraz. So if, he's un if he does that against Medvedev in this crazy hot conditions, Medvedev's gas tank is very, very vast, as we know. Yeah, I, I, I actually disagree with you in a lot of what you said. Um... I don't think luck will be enough. I don't think the tennis gods or him getting good lucky net cords is going to make a difference. I think even if Medvedev was to get that, there's still such a, a, a gaping difference in the two of them at the moment. The, the two contrasting styles will not is, help. It just doesn't help Medvedev. I don't know what... I don't, I, don't know, I don't think it is just the power. I feel it's the... The movement and the versatility of a Carlos Alcaraz against a Medvedev who's very consistent. We'll have to I, I, we'll have to study it a lot more. I'm no analytical genius when it comes to tennis matches, but I am fascinated to see if he mixes something up because he's going to have to because Alcaraz in the previous meetings it's been one of the most one-sided matchup I've ever seen, and I've been really shocked to see it because Medvedev's the third best player in the world. There's no doubts about that in my mind. And this one on paper should be competitive. So you never know. Maybe he's going to turn the corner. I'd love for it to be competitive. I think this is going to be the best matchup we've seen between the two of them. But I only see it really going one way. Uh, let's move on to Daniel Medvedev. Of course, he played uh, fellow Russian Andrei Rublev, someone who he's got the better of most times in his career. And the conditions were extremely tough. And I think the conditions is what dominated the match. Medvedev won in straight sets. Rublev had breaks in the set. He could have won all of the sets, really, uh, but ended up losing them all. And I think this is the story of Rublev. I feel I've, it's happened before, maybe against team or someone else, where he's been in a situation where he could have won all the sets and lost them all. I think even against Daniel Medvedev, it's happened maybe at the Australian Open one time. And it's just continuously repeating himself, itself. Never been to a semi-final of a Grand Slam. Someone of his ability should be there. But the conditions were really tough for both players. So it's not just unfair on Rublev. And a quote from Medvedev, which is stealing the headlines, is one player is going to die and they're going to see. I mean, it's scary to think. I mean, I saw the 
how Rublev was reacting when he went to the chair. Did you see on the changeover? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I've not seen somebody in so much discomfort because of heat before. He was trying to get his top off. He was pouring water on his head. He called for the medical. I was like, what Medvedev's saying is legit. Oh, this no, is, no, it's, it's a valid thing. Like Medvedev yeah. said, if he dropped a set, he would have gone off the court and had a cold shower. And potentially that could have made his body either seize up where he wouldn't be able to play or he would have think, but he would have taken that decision because of the conditions. He said the only thing you compare it to in his whole career was when he played in China once and it was similar there. So True. let's just put, let's just understand that it was incredibly difficult. Um, but then look at Djokovic the other day, Rublev was saying in his post-match interview and he just seemed normal against Taylor Fritz and... I think that he still just, mentioned it though. He mentioned it, but still, it highlights how good he is of a player. And Alcaraz, I mean, look at him; he seemed okay. Granted, can, it was yeah. a bit later on, maybe, and it helped him out. But yeah, but yeah, uh, this was real tough. But what I would always say on this is, there's no advantage to either player because they're both playing in the same conditions at the same time. And I think it's tough, but it's tough for both of them equally. Do you think there needs to be some kind of legislation where Players are unable, should not be permitted to play. Should you think they could close the roof and maybe put some kind of air conditioning in this, in, in play? How do you Why think not? they should deal with these situations? Medvedev even suggested when it reaches a certain temperature or humidity, they should change it to only best of three. What do you think? I think either that or you suspend play and, to, and then put it on a bit later. That's about the only other thing I can suggest because I don't think it's safe players playing in conditions in such an intense sport this isn't a team sport this is a one-on-one -on -one sport where two players play for potentially five hours like that's the, how crazy this is running around or even sitting for five hours in searing heat is dangerous running around and causing your heart to be going full pace for five hours is super dangerous and we're going to see somebody we've seen heat stroke from Rafa heat stroke from Djokovic even the best players suffer from it so these other players are going to need I don't know the same sort of level of thing if that's not enough like seeing the t like two of the best players ever to play the game struggling with heat stroke on court then who is going to be able to implement the change because Andre Rublev, he, he should be the one speaking out. I mean, Daniel's the one speaking out here. Has Rublev released a statement as well? Yeah, he's been talking about it as well and how okay. challenging the conditions were. But he said at the end of the day, he's beaten by the better player and it was fair for both of them. Yeah, it's fair. And this is why I'm not... I feel like it's one of them podcasts, but I don't really agree with you either on this. Um, I know I've been agreeing with you a lot throughout <laughs> the US Open, but this is another situation where I don't. And I'll always say it when I do. And the reason I don't is because, granted, Rafa, Djokovic have been through similar situations like this, but they still went out and played. They still did it. They still yeah. went the next day, the next round, and they still yep. won their match most of the time. And I just think it's part of the sport. It's the same for both players. I don't see an unfair advantage. Granted, it's tough, but you is just it dangerous fight. though. You fight in the situation you're provided. I mean, sport at times can be dangerous. That's that's that is. High-level sport what, what is not for the weak. It's not for the faint-hearted. Be it's tough. What temperature is the limit then? I mean, well, surely that's not up for me. I don't know, but I feel like a, scientifically there must be some kind of doctor um, who is 
watching that. And I mean, if it did reach a certain uh, level, they probably wouldn't be able to play the match. And I think that's totally fair. I think it should be at the discretion of a doctor. I don't think it was at the heat in which it was that unsafe. I mean... I think it's humility. I think it was just... It was challenging and it was difficult. But this is top-level sport we're talking about. I don't have that much sympathy. I think it's bad. I think it's hard. I think it's incredibly difficult. And we're talking... You're talking from the perspective of the average Joe. Of course, it's tough for us to sit in this seat. But these are the top level athletes in the world. This is the very best, the number, the, the top 10 players in the world. I mean, you've got to go through some kind of adversity in difficult times. Yeah. And what sport isn't dangerous at the top level? As exactly. a football player, you can go and break your leg and never play again. With tennis, yeah. you can have bad injuries, which will ruin your career. This is life. This is what top level sport is. And I'm not going into any combat sports here. I'm just talking about high level um ball sports um but yeah let's see what medvedev then went on to say afterwards and this is how this is i know we touched on it a second ago he was asked if he would like to see tennis change uh how it approaches extreme conditions you've already voiced that you think maybe the match should have been postponed is that what you're saying um, if it gets to a temperature which is Grant's but was it at dangerous. that temperature? No, you say? I, I don't think it was. I feel that this was just very, very... Di- he was playing Daniel Medvedev and it's just a nightmare. If you have long rallies, you want to be keeping them quick if it's hot and you can't because it's Daniel Medvedev. And that's why Medvedev comes out on top in these situations. So if anything, even though Daniel's complaining, this actually benefits him in these type of conditions. So, yeah, to a level. So he said, I'm not too sure what we can do. We can't stop the tournament for four days because then it basically ruins everything, TV, tickets, everything. Uh, four days. Could we go to three sets when conditions are like this? Some guys wouldn't be happy. Maybe I'm going to finish my career. Nothing's going to happen. Then it's fine. I'm talking for nothing. The question is, if we don't want something to happen, then say, oh my God, Medvedev said this years ago, but I don't have the solution. So he's tackled it there in the fact that it's not an easy solution. There's not an, a simple answer here. And I think it's, the way it should be is down to the discretion of the doctors, to the tournament org- organisers, to mitigate the risk of the heat and make sure that players are protected. I don't think anything they've done so far has passed that line. And I think that's all part and parcel of competitive sport at the top level. Yeah, like you said, we've seen other players manage to get through it. So why would we stop it just because of a select one or two? Well, I mean, they did as well. Um, let's move on to Andre Rublev. Of course, he was the guy at the other end of this very difficult match in the conditions. And uh, Daniel Medvedev, who was playing very good tennis, by the way, he was saying after the first set, because of the conditions, he couldn't see properly because of the sweat in his eyes. And it I was he was just going through the motions of how he envisions the tennis to be played, but he couldn't clearly see. It was still enough, and he played very well, by the way. But these are the players now Rublev's lost to because the big talking point now is that Rublev, another quarterfinal, he's been kicked out. I know you did a funny meme. Go check that out on Twitter. Ben did a meme of uh, Rublev and Pagula, another one who's not been to a semi-final of a Grand Slam. They've had chances. Uh, I would say Pagula's had easier chances and not done it. Rublev, though, should, are we being harsh on him? These are the players he's played in the quarterfinals. Nadal on hard, Medvedev on hard, Tsitsipas on clay, Medvedev on hard, Chilich on clay, TFO on hard, 
Djokovic on hard, Djokovic on grass, and Medvedev on hard. Do you know what all this highlights to me is? This, this highlights that he's not doing well enough during the whole rest of the year so that he can get into the top four seeds so that he can not meet Medvedev in a quarterfinal because that's where he struggles. So maybe he needs to just do a bit better throughout the whole year and he won't be seeded five to eight and then he won't go out in the quarterfinals. Simple. But then he'll go out in the semifinals, you're saying? Possible. <laughs> <laughs> and is that much better? I mean, I think what you've got to do, if you want to win the big tournaments, that's kind of irrelevant, what you're saying. I understand what you're saying yeah. in principle to principle. get through the quarterfinals. Yeah. yeah. But then the duck. to actually try and win something, which is the end goal, he's going to have to beat one of the top players anyway. You're not going to win a grandstand without beating, beating some of the best players. Um, so clearly his issue is not just that he's not highly ranked, it's the fact that he can't handle any of the big guys. Nadal, Medvedev, Tsitsipas at times, and Djokovic. And I'm sure Alcalaz as well. I don't yeah, think I don't think that's that. actually happened, but I mean, Alcalaz would be in the same boat, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. So he's had some tough matches. Probably the only one I feel which winnable there was the Chilich one on clay. I don't know if you remember it um, at Roland Garros. It went to five sets. Five, wasn't it? Yeah, I was and Chilich won in a tie break. So it was very, very tight. And it was a crushing defeat for him. But Rublev needs to do a little better in these situations. Uh, Let's move away from the men's now and speak about the women. So we've spoke about Coco Goff yesterday in the semi-final. The other semi-final has Sabalenka and Madison Keys. Uh, Saba, we covered her on the live watch along. Keys, we've not really covered too much of. But she's been incredible. And just reflecting on the quarterfinals in general, I know you joked about it on the live watch long, yeah. but every single quarterfinal, the first set went to five love. That's crazy, isn't it? Or more. I mean, there was bagels in most of them, but this one just went five love. But they all got to five love in the first set of every quarterfinal on the women's. That's, for me, that's terrible. If we're getting to the quarterfinals, we've got to be having more competitive matches than that. I mean, for me, I'll forgive Kim Wen Jeng her one because it's her first ever quarterfinal. But the rest, I mean, I want better from you. I'm, right, I thought so it was style. poor. You don't forgive her? I'm not really. I feel that she played great against Benchich. What happened? She just forgot how to play against Mukova. So, yeah, no, no sympathy for the others. I feel that it's just a little bit embarrassing. The Ostapenko one was the worst one. I feel that that was, she came in in great form, just looked terrible. So there's no excuses. And I feel that, that all, they're gonna, all they've done is let down themselves because, and they've let down the fans, the paying fans who went to watch like, competitive matches. Quarterfinals should be where it really starts hotting up and it just didn't at all. Yeah. No, I'd agree with that. It's um, bizarre, really, that we're seeing so many one-sided matches on the quarterfinals of the women's stage at the US Open. Maybe that's probably why, because the US Open does throw up more surprises than the other slams. Uh, We'll speak about Sabalenka first. And, I mean, there's not much to talk about with all of her route because it just seems so one-sided. Like, every single Sabah match, we've not covered much, we've not spoke about her too much. 
has just been so easy up to this point. Like, I don't think I've recalled a situation where she's been in doubt or things aren't looking good for her or she might go out or lose a set. She just looks better than everyone. And there's not really much more to say apart from that. She's just done what Iga did last year. She's the new world number one and she's outplayed everyone. At times I've watched her on the court and she looked a bit wobbly, but she's always got like a break or a double break cushion when this is happening. So I've never been at any cause for concern. So the thing I really want to talk about with her was actually in the press conference. And it's a funny Sabah moment. I think when a player is so good, we can talk about her tennis and all the crazy stats. I was going to bring up some of them. Um, but let's save that maybe for the next episode because we've got plenty of funny Sabah moments and she's been engaging with the crowd on the court, uh, dancing, talking to them, saying about how you, are you entertained with me? Do you like me? It's, she's a very funny character. And in the press conference, there was someone clicking their pen in and out. And her response to it was, are you trying to test me? I'm older. I'm not getting annoyed by this. And then when he stopped clicking the pen, he went. she went back to him and was like, oh, you can continue. It's okay. I'm used to it now. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm not, I'm older. It doesn't bother me. I'm unfazed. And he, st- he was obviously so rattled by it. Oh, he stopped. He's probably embarrassed. What do you make of Pengate? Well, I like that she called it out anyway, because I like it when any of these uh, players make the uh, journalists feel uncomfortable in any way. I thought it was yeah. funny when Pagula... You do thrive on that, don't you? Pagula calling out the tennis podcast. That made me uh, chuckle to myself to watch them squirming in their seats. But then this one, I feel that Sava just likes to have a bit of a laugh as well. So I, li- I really like her personality. I think she's a great for the sport, great world number one. So... That's the main thing. Main takeaway is I think you've got to have a bit of fun in those press conferences because think how many they do and think how boring some of them have got to be. So that probably brought a little bit of fun to like, they don't get asked interesting questions at all. So if anything, that made that press conference interesting. (laughs) Her matches haven't been that interesting. She's been too good and everybody else is subpar in comparison. And a few words about her tennis so far up to this stage. Brilliant. The favourite? Yes, I would say so. I'd say that no one's even looked close to even tackling her big shots. As soon as she hits a big shot, they can't even get it back in the court. It just goes long most of the time. So it's it's very uncompetitive. I'm hoping Madison Keys will give her a run for her money, but Madison Keys has to really come out of the traps and take the game to her because if she doesn't, she's going to be on the next on the chopping block. Well, we've got to remember this. Madison Keys has good Grand Slam pedigree. This is her sixth semi-final, and there's only five active players who have reached more than Keys, and that's Venus Williams, Azarenka, Wozniacki, who's now back, uh, Kvitova, and her next opponent, Sabalenka. So, incredible how many she's been able to achieve. I guess it's not that much of a surprise, and maybe it was just a really good pick from me. And not one that's that shocking because she's been here many times before. She's got to the final, um, I believe, I think it's the next one. Is it 2018? 2017. 2017. But it's her first US Open semi-final since 2018. So she's got to the semi-final the year after that. She's got pedigree here at the US Open. Is she the one who, I know we're saying Sab is impressed, but is she the one to beat? Is she the American to beat over Coco Goff? Has she been more impressive than Coco? Because I think she has been. 
I feel that the style of her wins has been more impressive. I wouldn't even say that the Coco's win against Ostapenko was that impressive. I thought she just did a job and Ostapenko let herself down. I think Keys takes the match to people. She blitzes them. And when she's playing well, it's, she's nearly impossible to play. And she does well in the third set as well. So we speaking about Goff doing well in the third set. She yep. definitely does well in the third set. She comes back and does her best in third set. So I think she's dangerous. And I think that this we're finally going to get a good match for Sabalenka. And I'm hoping the crowd can play a bit of a factor. And I hope they don't turn on Sabalenka too much. But I've got a feeling they might. <laughs> yeah. So let's have a look at some of the Madison Keys stats. You can see some of the semi-finals she's been to, two at the Australian Open, one at Roland Garros in 2018, uh, one at the US Open, and of course the best was the final in 2017, uh, in which Sloane Stephens defeated her in the final, 6-3, 6-love, which was a bit crazy at the time. She's had a good year, I guess, with a quarter-final already at Wimbledon. Is she going to go better? Uh, she's already gone one better. Is she going to get to another final and get her to her best? I think it's possible, man. I really do. I have her in the semi-final playing Sabalenka in my bracket, and I have Sabalenka losing. So let's wait and see what happens there. But I thought it was good to highlight this, that she is a pretty consistent player across all the surfaces, and she's got pedigree. She's been on the tour for some time, sort of 2012, 2013, mainly when she started breaking through. And she could be super dangerous. Uh, let's get into the predictions. And we'll maybe start with the women, seeing as we're, we've just finished talking about it. And I'll let you go first for a change. Yes, well, with this one, um, like you were saying, amazing pedigree across all of the slams is Madison Keys. But the one thing Sabah has in her advantage is she's been amazing across all the slams this year. She won the Australian Open, semi-finals at the French, semi-finals at Wimbledon, semi-finals again at the US Open. She's the most informed player on tour. She's the new world number one, and she's playing without all the double faults. I feel that sure. she's going to yeah. win, but I feel that there will be the first Sabah wobble in this match, and Definitely. it's going to be in the second set. She's going to lose the second set, but she's going to win the third, and it's going to be on a tie-break. What we agree on is there's going to be a Sabah wobble and I can put a lot of money on it. I'm confident at one point we are going to see Sabah stretched. It's a semi-final of a slam. It's her worst possible scenario. I think she's probably worse in a semi-final of a slam than a final. I find her being, the anticipation of being so close to a Grand Slam final has been too much in the past. She's lost to lesser opposition in semi-finals. Pliskova, Wimbledon, Mukova recently. She's lost a lot of them. And did she lose to Raducanu in a semis as well? No, I don't was believe that... so. That was Leila Fernandez that knocked her out, wasn't it? Oh, sorry, Leila Fernandez. Was that semi finals, though? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, was, another one. It's lesser opposition. Yeah. yeah. And she needs to get over this. I don't think she's quite there yet. And I think we're going to see a big wobble at one point. But she's quality. She will still be favourite despite the wobble. I'm having Madison Keys winning, though, in three sets. That's my prediction. I like it. I think uh, I think uh, maybe Sabah takes the first set and Keys forges a way back and wins the third convincingly. Well, that's what she does best. 6-1 in the third or something like that. So you've gone Sabah in three. I've gone Keys in three. 
Over to this one now. Take it away. Yep. Um, this one, I said it on a previous podcast and I'm going to say it again. What I'm seeing from Carlos Alcaraz right now is nothing short of amazing. Um, every time I watch him play... I'm, Did you see him spinning the racket round? Yeah. <laughs> I, every time I'm watching If play, you saw that happening while you was about to serve, what would you do? <laughs> I'll be like, well, this is, I'm not going to be able to hit the next shot that comes back, probably. <laughs> he's, he's wind cranking it up. <laughs> but uh, it, all, it was, all it makes me think is it's just re-emphasising the fact that, for me, this tournament, and people are going to jump on my back, he is the best player this tournament. I don't, no disrespect to Djokovic. I don't think Djokovic has served that well. I feel that he's done just enough to get past players. I feel that Alcaraz has looked impressive. Even though he dropped a set to Evans, I still think the overall body of work and the way he's dispatching players is more aggressive, it's more scary. And that's the one thing I'd say about Alcaraz this tournament. And I think it's going to be scary against Medvedev again. And I feel that he's going to beat him in straight sets again. Would you agree that Medvedev is the third best player in the world? Definitely. Is he clear at third? Yeah, definitely. Got to be, isn't he? Definitely. And these are probably his best conditions, maybe. Best slam, probably US Open. I know he's done better maybe at the Australian Open, but he's not won it like he has the US. Um, It's interesting. It really is because this is where you'd expect Danny Medvedev to come to life. He loves this event. In the US hardcourt swing, the back end of the year as well. Everything's set up for him to be amazing. He's yep. just demolished everyone. This should be a really tight match, but it's not been in the past. And Alcaraz is a beast. I mean, he's not human. He's insane. I've not seen a player as good as him coming through since Rafa Nadal. Uh, of course, Rafa was better than both Federer and Djokovic in the early years. And I'm seeing a lot of similarities here with Alcaraz. He's just an absolute beast. And I agree with you. I think he's going to rip Medvedev apart and win in straight sets, which is not fair because it shouldn't happen like that. But Medvedev has the ability, if he does go down two sets, I'm not sure if he's going to have that same sort of willpower to fight to the end. He is someone who will always fight on a tennis court, but there's going to be that doubt creeping in, the conditions he's already... He's already a bit angry about all the conditions as well. So that's going to just... He's going to be riled up. We're going to see some maybe some funny Medvedev quotes, but... I see it going one way, and that is Carlos Alcaraz to win in straight sets. I'll finish off just by saying, I'm going to re-emphasise, I I know Gary was saying, oh, that's a bit much, me going a bit big on Alcaraz. I still think if he stays injury-free, he could be holding all of the slams by this time next year. It's not crazy at all, Ben. No. I know, I know it's, it's scary watching him. So good. The big the big thing you say is injury-free. And yeah, he's played a lot of tennis thing. now. Let's see if his body can keep up because it's not easy to do. The tour's a very challenging place to be. And we've seen a wobble at Roland Garros uh, with him physically. I'm not sure if there's going to... There may be another one in there soon because he's done a lot of tennis. And as much as he's not feeling the pressure, and a lot of that probably was more mental than physical... It prevented his physicality, but a lot of it started from the anxiety and his mental. He's not, he's got a lot to develop into. He's still a young boy. What's he, 20 years old still, I class? It's insane. So let's give it time. 
But there we go. That is our predictions. Let us know what you guys think to everything we've discussed on this episode. Make sure, hit the like button, subscribe if you're new. It's been fun as always. I really do enjoy bringing these podcasts to you. So if you do enjoy it, let us know and we'll continue to do them uh, maybe outside of slams as well. Uh, But for now, we'll see you later for... There's not many matches, is there? We've got some at midnight, I believe. Uh, Women's semifinals. Women's semifinals at at midnight. So we've got a bit of a break during the day. Go have a rest, have a little nap and get ready for the women's semifinals. Like and subscribe and see you then. Podcast Network.